to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Greetings, aspiring GCs. Whether you're in law school, private practice, government, or in-house, you're in the right place. My name is David Hamm, and I'm the co-chair of the in-house subcommittee of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee. More importantly, I share your aspiration of one day becoming a general counsel. But like you, I'm not sure how to get there. That's where Conversations with GCs comes in. The purpose of the podcast is to help aspiring GCs find practical, and actionable guidance that they've been looking for. To that end, we'll be having conversations with leading GCs for the purpose of exploring the path that led them to the role, essential skills and characteristics for being a successful GC, current GC hot topics, and practical and actionable advice for aspiring GCs. Before we start the conversation, one quick request. We'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Today, I'm very fortunate to be joined by Lisa Gilley. Lisa is the General Counsel of Higher Logic, the industry-leading engagement platform delivering online communities and communication tools to corporate and association customers worldwide. With over a decade of experience building personalized, scalable community engagement programs, Higher Logic currently serves more than 3,000 customers, representing over 350,000 online communities with more than 200 million users in more than 42 countries worldwide. As an experienced corporate attorney, Lisa began her career as an attorney at the Discovery Channel. Later, she transitioned to an attorney deal negotiator position at AOL, and then her first GC role as a solo GC of a mid-market tech startup. After building her own consulting practice, she returned in-house as the solo GC of an open source software solutions provider. In her current role at, as Higher Logic's first general counsel, Lisa built the legal function and now oversees the legal department and provides legal and business advice to all Higher Logic's business units, including corporate strategy, customer experience, business operations, revenue operations, sales, product, people, and facilities. Her experience building the in-house legal function while leading and mentoring highly effective teams has given Lisa a unique perspective on the role of the GC as a business leader. She's a thought leader, passionate about legal innovation, mentoring, and the role of GC. Lisa, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to share your story and insights for aspiring GCs. Thank you so much, David. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. I am too. And we start with the path that led you to the role of GC, and we can really do this. uh, You can begin where you want, but we typically talk about when did you know you wanted to become a lawyer? Was it pretty early or or later in your schooling? 
Oh, that is such a great question. I actually tell a story that I was probably the only uh, student in my law school class that was absolutely determined not to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so my path was uh, slightly unconventional. I was very interested in politics. So I actually moved to Washington, D.C., uh, which is where I went to law school, and I worked on Capitol Hill, and I, I just loved all things politics. Um, I loved policy. I loved uh, the, the idea of contribution and giving back to the community and um, working together to build something uh, bigger and better uh, that, that could impact people directly. Um, so throughout the course of law school, um, you know, I, I thought that I was headed on one path and I began um, through things like uh, corporate law classes um, and the like, I began to realize that actually I was very interested in business. And so for me, uh, working in-house um, is really a combination of so many of the things that I love, um, but my path there was slightly unconventional. So I do uh, tell folks that are um, either contemplating law school or contemplating a career um, in-house, you know, there are many, many different roads to lead to the place that, uh, that you ought to be. So don't be shy about trying a variety of things and one of the amazing things about a legal education is that it can take you in so many different directions. Um, so eventually I did make the pivot. Obviously I am not in politics now. So um, after, after some of my corporate law classes, um, and internships, I had the opportunity directly out of law school uh, to work in the uh, legal department of Discovery Channel. And what I like to say is um, it was one of those opportunities that presented itself to me and I just couldn't say no. It was thrilling. Um, and I really I felt so fortunate to have that opportunity. And um, it was to this day, I think of it as the greatest training ground possible. Um, now, at the time, it was slightly unusual, right? Because um, I'm sure a lot of your um, listeners are thinking, well, how, did, how do you go in-house directly from law school? Yeah, that, that is not a common story. Yeah, it absolutely. It is not a common story. It is not a common story. That's right. And, and the typical path, obviously, is you put some time in at a law firm and, and you know, you cut your teeth there and, and you learn the lessons that are so important uh, to practicing law. And then eventually, perhaps you move in-house. Um, although my path was different, I, again, I believe it was the best training ground possible. And I think it's really informed everything that's followed. Um, for one, I think um, if you are interested at all in a career in-house, it's probably a good thing to get used to um, taking your opportunities as you find them, right? Mm. And, and making the best of them, um, making the best of the opportunities that present themselves. And so for me, that's what it was. And, and it really, you know, working in a corporate environment, um, working um, with, you know, at the pace that in-house moves, um, with the significance of every deal, with the revenue pressures, um, with perhaps quarterly reporting uh, pressures that the business um, needs to adhere to, you know, you begin to learn the practice of law in a slightly different way. And so um, for me, that was my time at Discovery. And so, um, you know, as I look back on that time, I think, you know, there was probably no better training ground for me. Um, and I began, you know, from day one, negotiating affiliate agreements, uh, so contracts, 
from, from the start. And just a fun fact about that job, on the day that I began, my managing attorney um, put in her notice and was leaving. And so I had about three weeks to get trained up really quickly and to take on some of the overload um, while they found her replacement. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So again, I think the lesson of, you know, um, respond, respond quickly, pivot and uh, jump in with both feet is, is good advice to this day. Yeah, no, that's great. A couple of things, uh, the reluctant lawyer, I, I would not have uh, thought that from how passionate you are yes. about the role these days. So that that is an interesting perspective. But it it does strike me that politics and law is actually a pretty good combination in house, right? <laughs> or yeah, the, exactly. The, the phrase yeah. uh, the corporate survivor was uh, a phrase at one of my companies that was a bit larger. Uh, that was pretty common, um, you know. So politics does play such a, a high or being the politics of the company this you know, such that, a high role. Yeah, um, that's a terrific point. That's a terrific point. And and I would agree that a lot of the skills are transferable because, yeah. you know, as you and I um, have talked about in the past, you know, I think having EQ, having yeah. that sense of, you know, working together, collaboration, really listening to people. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, the in-house role is really a problem-solving role as much yeah. as it is anything else. And we happen to apply legal solutions to solving problems, um, but hopefully in-house we're also applying business solutions as well. But it's really about EQ and problem-solving. Yeah. So just one of the other very unique things that you identified and called out was going straight from law school to an in-house department. Yeah. Curious how that came about. Was that a OCI thing? Were you looking for that and, and aggressively pursuing that option? Or how, how did, just interested to know how that came about. Right. No, it's a great question. It's it's again, it's about jumping on an opportunity when it presents itself. So I was working on a project. I was doing an internship and I worked um, with a variety of lawyers locally um, in the D.C. area um, through an internship that I was working on. And mm. I wound up talking to a variety of lawyers. So the internship was not related to business, interestingly enough. Mm. It was um, I was working actually um, helping domestic abuse uh, survivors and oh, wow. getting restraining orders and um, working in the DC Superior Court uh, to represent um, victims of domestic violence. But through that, I met a variety of lawyers um, in and around the area, and I was talking about what I would be interested in and what I was interested in pursuing after law school. And I wound up really essentially being mentored um, mm. by a couple of these women who were really um, terrific to me early on in those days. And, you know, I had shared a paper um, with one of them and said, you know, could I get your advice on this? And this is um, a project that I'm doing. And she was impressed. And she said, actually, you know, let's keep in touch. And one thing led to another. And then when she was hiring someone um, in this junior attorney role, she thought of me and reached out. And um, really, it was it was as simple as that. So it was the it was sort of the uh, the age old story of you know put yourself out there, talk to people. Um, when you engage with people authentically, um, you never know where it may lead. You know, I certainly um, didn't begin any of those conversations ever thinking that it might lead to a job opportunity, but sure enough, it did, and and it was really quite life changing for me. So, wow, yeah, the power of networking, even in law school. I think you know yes. some people. Uh, even I've heard or myself, you think, well, networking's for the next stage 
or, or and it's and it's leaning in where you are. And I, I also like, you know, I hear often and think sometimes, even as a past law professor myself, that law school is often a little bit ill-suited for preparing you for the realities of practice, whether in-house or in the firm, in a way that law schools, I think, acknowledge that as well, is the, the practical uh, clinics and, and all that, um, which has one benefit of actually preparing you for the realities of practice, but two, I'd never thought about it till you were saying, what a powerful opportunity for networking. So for those of us, for those in the audience who are in law school, thinking about that side from two angles, one, get practical experience, but two, meet actual lawyers, not law professors. Law professors don't often get you a job, they, they, but practicing lawyers can, like in your case. So I, I think that's a, a great piece of advice, skipping down to practical and actionable advice for, for law students. Yeah, no, that's great. So how, how, how big was the legal department at the Discovery Channel? Oh, wow. Um, I would say, let me think about this. There were probably about 15 attorneys okay. and probably another 15 or maybe even 20 legal professionals, be it paralegals, legal assistants, um, and the like. Okay, so pretty um, good size yeah. legal very, department then. Very good size, yeah. yes. And after about a year of working primarily with um, contracts in my particular role in the legal department there, um, the legal affairs department and the business affairs department merged. And that was really a very interesting turning point for me because it really, it was just absolute good luck for me because it brought together the things I really loved doing most. And that was negotiating while lawyering, right? So, mm, you yeah. know, there's the the lawyering of um, sitting behind a laptop, which we all do and, and drafting contracts and, and digging deeply into the language. And then there's negotiation, right? Which really can take you in a lot of different directions, particularly in-house. And it was very lucky for me that those two departments merged and business affairs um, is really still a model that I think is a leading model for any in-house legal department, whether they use that language around the structure or not. Mm -hmm. And what do I mean by that? You know, to me, what that means is business affairs is really about understanding the business that you're Mm -hmm. in and then applying legal solutions to it will follow, right? And really the year that I spent uh, doing business and legal affairs when those departments merged changed everything for me. Um, Mm -hmm. It really put me out there in the business in in a much more visible way. Um, It put me in front of external customers um, and partners to negotiate directly. And that's really where I began to learn and to forge my take on an in-house practice, which is it is about the customer experience. It is about the employee experience. It is about accelerating, uh, accelerating the business. It's about growing a business while doing all of the important legal functions of mitigating risk and identifying issues and thinking around the corner and spotting issues and all those important things. So, um, you know, to this day, I think um, that, you know, that shift and working in a negotiator capacity and working um, with different stakeholders in the business to truly understand their issues enabled me to learn from a very early point in my career about just how important it is to understand the business and solve the practical 
real problems of the business and not to kind of keep legal um, separate from the business, but really, in fact, to integrate it into the business um, and to truly partner with the business. Yeah, I love that. And and that's one theme that I've heard several times and I'm curious about since it's such a passion of yours Mm -hmm. and I like your perspective. How does a lawyer go about learning the business? What are some tips that you would give to someone who understands the legal framework of, let's say, securities disclosure, but understanding the business, the puts and takes, the economic realities? How how have you found for you um, best practices of learning the underlying oh, business? That that's great. It's it's really about making connections and making mm. um, you know asking questions and asking to sit in on meetings, right? Um, and not not keep yourself away from the business. Um, mm. There and there are a lot of different approaches. Um, I happen to believe that by integrating legal and making sure that legal is visible. So whether, you know, I I mean, for me, it's, it's natural. I love to connect with people. So, you know, what a a bit of practical advice, I guess I would say uh, to your listeners would be, don't be afraid to ask questions. I think sometimes lawyers feel right that they're supposed to have all of the answers. So therefore somehow um, some lawyers are very reluctant to ask questions. And it's amazing if you, you know, if you're in a business and you sit down with someone in the product department or the customer experience department or the renewals department or finance or really any area of the business, the people that are working in that area are passionate and they're experts at what they do. And when you ask somebody to explain their world, it's amazing how, how naturally people open up and they want to talk. People want to tell mm. you all of the things um, that they're doing in a business. So I think be receptive to questions that are coming in um, from the business to legal. That's certainly um, important, but just as important is be a curious, open partner, ask questions, um, meet people for lunch, you know, go get a quick coffee with someone in the office and be available. You know, one of, one of the key things that I think on a very practical level is don't fall victim to your own calendar, right? Mm. Don't have back-to-back meetings every day of the week and not have a moment to get out and just have those, um, well, either on Zoom or in person, have those conversations um, with the folks that you're working with. Um, Because it's amazing what can happen when you just make yourself available and begin to be in conversation with the business team. Yeah. They love to talk about what they work on. Yeah. No, that makes really good sense. So I'm seeing a theme of networking, whether it's Mm -hmm. you're in law school, you're networking with, you know, practitioners, then you're in-house and you're building a network across the enterprise on the different functions so that you can learn through relationship. Uh, That's really helpful. That's right. Learn through relationship. And the thing I would add, and, you know, this may be true for some of your listeners too, you know, if networking feels, um, too transactional or can sound intimidating, just think of it as connecting, you know, connecting with the people that, that uh, you're working with, you're connecting with customers, listen to whatever you can listen to, read whatever you can read, look at the marketing materials at a business. That's a treasure trove of information. Um, There are, 
you know, sit in on any meeting basically that you can at the beginning. Um, and another thing I would add is I think in any role that you start, do your 30, 60, 90 day plan, right? Mm. And and I think that's important, whatever the role, whether you know you're a first-time GC, whether it's your first job out of law school. Think about 30, 60, 90, and, and, and then refer back to it later. I actually yeah. did this just recently um, for my 30, 60, 90, um, it's starting at Higher Logic. And, and I went back and, and it was fascinating um, to take a look at how many of the things um, mapped to um, where we are right now. And by that, I mean, look back, you know, when you're planning how you want to approach your role. When I look back at the 30, 60, 90 that I did, my 30, you know, the, the goals in the first 30 days, it was all about listening. It mm. was meeting with every key stakeholder, identifying every key stakeholder, listening. What are your issues? Asking people, what are your blockers? What are your pain points? How do you think legal can help you? And yeah. when you're a first time GC in a company, sometimes people aren't actually sure how you will approach the job. So right. it's great to just sort of get that organic feedback. You know, what what are your thoughts about legal? What what do you expect from the role? So that's the 30. The 60 for me, as I looked back at my own plan, was a very deliberate plan to provide something of value to each stakeholder, mm. right? Because to me, you're building your uh, subject matter uh, expertise. You're showing people what you can do. You're establishing yourself as an expert and you're establishing yourself as someone who is a problem solver. And I identified through those initial conversations, what I thought would be something of value I could provide for each of those stakeholders in each of those departments. And then I collaborated, what can we work on together? And sure enough, within 60 days, I had provided something of value for each. And why is that so important? Well, it's important because sometimes when you're beginning a legal role in a company, you have to overcome some negative perceptions about legal, right? right. We've all heard those, right? So the department of no, yeah. or, or, right? Or with the worst, right, is to be a department of no. Or sometimes people think, oh, legal is a blocker. Legal could slow me down. Mm. And if you establish right from the beginning that you're a problem solver, that you're you know, an expert in what you do, you can do things efficiently and effectively, then what you've done is you've not only solved that problem, you've created a pathway and, and an opportunity for those stakeholders to come back and to know that they're that you're a resource to them. And once you establish that, then the 90 days of building, what is your plan? Where do you want to take your legal mm. department? What do you want to do? You can't do any of those larger goals until you establish trust and relationship with, with the stakeholders. So I, I would, I'm a very strong proponent of a 30, 60, 90. And from the beginning, listen first, provide value second, and then plan your department. That is extremely helpful. I have never heard that outline of the 30, 60, 90 put that way. And I think that's a gold nugget from, from this conversation. So really, really appreciate that. That was fantastic. What want to, we've kind of been bounced around and, and that's perfect. One of the things when we talked last that really struck me on your experience was your experience as a solo GC and then your experience as a GC leading a legal function. 
And want to just explore with you the different skills and characteristics that will be beneficial in one or both contexts and how, how that experience has been different for you. Oh, yeah, that's great. Well, first of all, I think the experience of being a solo GC is, to me, one of the dream jobs that any GC could ever have. So I, I hope that the folks that are listening um, to this podcast, you know, I, I really cannot stress enough how, you know, if you're fortunate enough to work in an in-house setting and then are fortunate enough um, to really have the privilege of um, helping grow a company um, in the role of GC, it is highly likely that you could find yourself in a solo GC role, right? Because mm. a company that is building a legal department, a, a smaller company or a startup, uh, you know, a company of that nature may only have the budget for one attorney, right? So you may begin your career in-house as a solo GC or part of a small department. But in the role of solo GC, your, your function will look very different on any given day, right? You're going to wear a lot of different hats. Um, you are going to be called upon to answer a variety of questions on any given day. And part of the role is to become as expert as you can, as quickly as you can in a variety of different subject matter um, areas, right? So you may be asked on, you know, one day you could be negotiating a sales contract. The next day, it could be a commercial lease. The next day, it could be a trademark. It could be an IP issue. It could be a litigation, right? And if you are interested in being in-house, one of the key things is you need to be comfortable pivoting and context shifting and seeking out information and being comfortable making judgment-based decisions based on the information at hand, which as any GC will tell you in any size company may never be 100% of the information that you wish you had at any given time, mm. right? And, and I think that's the key difference um, that any GC has to experience, right? That, you know, the, the realities of business mean that decisions need to be made and there are very practical considerations um, that have to be taken into account. That can be slightly different than a law firm practice. Right. Um, you know, an appellate practice is different than that, right? A corporate yeah. um, uh, a law firm practice is different from that. Um, and in-house is its own legal specialty and I think really needs to be viewed as that. Um, so in the solo GC role in particular, I think the biggest challenge for new solo GCs is that sense of call it, you know, uh, the buck stops here, right? Yeah, Some folks have right. heard it say that, even right. though that's not really the case, you know, every solo GC has, a, you know, a CEO, an executive team, uh, business uh, executives, a board, all of that. So you do have a team, but I do think that, um, you know, when someone is approaching their first GC job. And if they're a solo GC, there can be that sense of, um, wow, there's, you know, every problem in the business is going to flow into that GC. And you either have to embrace it and 
begin to really love that and begin to really thrive on solving problems and using good judgment or the job can overwhelm. And I think, I think that that is um, an important thing to talk about with, with folks that are aspiring to these roles, right? You know, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be comfortable with, with that level of responsibility and decision-making, even when you may wish you had a little bit more information. Yeah. And, and I wonder if we just pivot this a little bit to a filter to, mm-hmm. to think, do I really want to do that? You know, like you identified right. being a securities lawyer, for example, at a firm, you've got a space, you can know everything about that space. You yes. can, you can get so good at it that it gets pretty comfortable yes. where the breadth of the subject matter you have to cover in a solo GC role or even in any GC role is so broad that that has to be something you're interested in. Yes. It seems to me, uh, or else, like you said, it could overwhelm or or be yes. miserable. The yeah. title may be great, but it, it may not be what really suits you. Yes, exactly. And And to me, I think what's so great about a podcast like this and a lot of the thought leadership that's happening around the in-house space is that we're really shining a light on the in-house legal role as a legal specialty, right? Right. And I don't know that it always was viewed that way, right? Right. You know, you develop your expertise, you'd you'd work in an area, and to your point, you'd maybe get the title, you'd have the role, but what does that actually look like in practice, you know? And and I think um, it is important that there there are skills that I think are important for a GC that are slightly different. Um, than what you would need at a law firm um, and in in a different type of practice. And, you know, as you and I've talked about before, you know, the key skills really being that ability to collaborate, you know, the ability to be a good listener, the ability to be a problem solver, um, to think on your feet, to be able to adapt quickly to a changing um, circumstance. Um, These are all things that really, really matter in the in-house world and may not um, be as significant in a different type of practice. So so I do think respecting the role as um, a very unique form of legal practice is not only um, important to thriving in the role, but it's important to identifying whether it is the right role um, as you build your career. Yeah, I, I love that perspective of thinking about in-house practice as an own, its own specialty. Like a securities lawyer or a, a whatever lawyer, you're an in-house lawyer, that's its own subject area or practice area. That's very helpful. I don't know if I've thought about it that crystallized before. I think that's right. a really helpful, helpful framework. So I want to pivot from, okay, solo GC. So now that you've built out a legal function, what, what differs from, as you make that pivot, as you go down that path? Yeah. Um, one of the key things uh, is, I think, the ability to manage and delegate. And I think that's a really, mm. really big part of that transition. And and I will confess, um, as someone who's been a solo GC three times, um, delegating is, is, is a challenge for me, has yeah. been. Uh, so that's yeah. been something yeah. that I've worked on over time. Um, yeah. Well, you yeah. know, it's, it's so. funny. It's funny you say that. I, I was in an interview and got the question, what do you think is your greatest strength and weakness? And I'm not great at those open-ended questions. And on my weakness, I said, 
You know, I'm not, I would say I'm not great at delegating. And the person who was interviewing said, oh, you're a lawyer with control issues. That's right. a shocker. <laughs> right. Shocking information, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. I, I got a kick out of that. So I don't think you're alone with that. Uh, I don't think so. I think story, it's yeah. an occupational hazard. I yeah, have no yeah. doubt. In, yeah. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but I do, I think that that is yeah. really um, one of the key one of the key shifts as you move from solo, you know, into building out a department. And I think another one is really what I, which is a bit of a, um, a skill that's required and also a bit of advice I would give to folks, which is embrace technology, mm. right? Um, I think that there is so much happening in the area of legal innovation. Absolutely. Um, that, yeah, and I think it's a real game changer in-house, especially, yeah. I, I really yeah. do. And to me, shifting from solo GC to building out a legal department mm. is as much about um, shifting the role from, you know, uh, the person, you know, who wears every hat and, and answers and fields every question to, you know, a, a model where delegation is involved and the team is involved, but also technology has to be involved. So whether it's, um, bringing on contract management, whether mm. it is automating what can be automated, whether it is creating some self-service tools for the teams, right? So yeah. that again, we kind of break that barrier between legal and the business teams in an appropriate way where we um, empower those teams to do um, some of the more standard, you know, serve up documents and make certain changes that are pre-approved to those documents, you know, that yeah. type of thing. Um, yeah. That really matters as you're building out a department because, you know, let's face it, when a department is growing, um, the chances are that the business has grown in advance of the department growing. That's yeah. just the nature of it, wherever right. you are, right? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So by the time the department expands, it's really because the need has has already um, presented itself. So, you know, to me, it's about building a great team, finding a great team, using the technology that's available, um, and again, empowering those other business partners in the business. You know, one of the things that I always think is that innovation and mentorship go hand in hand. Mm. And so, you know, building on what we talked about earlier and, you know, making um, connections with the business, creating relationships, being a trusted partner to the business. Well, what also happens then is if you're in the legal role, you can train other departments, you know, yeah. you can have Q and a sessions, you know, we do yeah. some lunch and learn type things. I've done training roadshows throughout the business and, it's amazing how helpful that can be, you yeah. know, where you're really training salespeople on legal issues in their contracts and you can mm. give them some talking points and you can, you know, get them very comfortable with some of the issues so that they're able to speak to some of those issues and maybe even resolve them before right. um, there need to be any contract changes. So I, I think there are a lot of different ways that the lawyer can um, build out the legal department, even if it means you only have one or two folks that are officially in the legal department, right. you've spread the influence of legal in other effective ways throughout the business through the use of technology, mentoring, and, and innovation. That That is so helpful. And I think we could talk about legal tech probably for an hour. I think that <laughs> right. the areas that you identified right. are pretty helpful. Right. I think legal billing is another one where I, I think there's a lot of good stuff. And if you're like me, there's those sales reps are so aggressive. I think I get, you know, at least 
two, three, four emails a yes. week. How, yes. how did how did you filter through that white noise to say uh, and find a solution uh, yeah. solutions that work when there's just I, I sometimes get paralyzed with just yes. the sheer volume. No, you're absolutely right. And it feels like that is an area that has just seen exponential growth in just the last year or two. So that's absolutely the case. Yep. Um, I get, again, I'm going to go back to relationships, which is Mm. I'm realizing is becoming a theme, Um, but I I really, I lean on my network, you know, Mm. I lean on my network and I I talk to folks that are in GC jobs and um, have been there, done that. Um, And so, you know, when I was looking around this time last year, um, I was very focused on bringing on some technology um, because of the expansion and the growth that we were experiencing. And I knew I wanted a contract management uh, solution and we needed to move to some digital contracting. And I, just like you, you know, wondered what would be the right solution. I reached out, I probably spent about an hour on the phone separately with four different GCs. Mm. Each of them had, you know, shared pros and cons of the solutions and tools they were using. And one name kind of bubbled up to the top. And then Mm. I did a little bit of investigating. I downloaded a couple of white papers. I circled back with one of the folks I talked with and said, well, talk me through it. We shared a screen. He showed me his instance of the contract management tool. I was intrigued, began to talk to our internal um, technical folks about, you know, whether this might work for them. Mm. And it turned out, you know, I, again, talked to some of our sales folks. Oh, wait a minute. This solution integrates well with Salesforce. Hmm. Interesting. Big bonus. That's great. Yes. You know, um, and in my case, um, you know, Higher Logic is part of, um, it's a portfolio company of um, JMI Equity. And right. so we have a group where the GCs of some of the JMI uh, portfolio companies meet and we have roundtables and we share best practices and, and information and, and um, just, you know, network and collaborate with one another on a regular basis. And I'd asked that group, you know, if they had any um solutions that they were particularly impressed with. And one of our GCs did a session with us because there was such interest and, wow. and shared. And it happened to be that he was using the same tool that I was. Oh, the stars at. aligned then. The yeah. stars all aligned. <laughs> yeah. And then and then it, we we took off from there. But yeah, That's I mean great. lean on lean on your network. And and again, I think people are happy to share you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what they've been through. So we might as well, you know, lean on one another. And the flip side of that, which I also think is really important for your listeners is be very generous then on the flip side, right? Be generous with your time. I spent about an hour um, on the phone a couple of weeks ago with another GC who had reached out to me to hear what our experience was like with the tool that we had implemented. Mm. And it was really great because I felt like, oh, this is full circle. This is someone who is in exactly the same position that I was in a year ago. And now in addition to what I learned from others, I can add a few been there, done that moments myself from our implementation. And um, it's very, very helpful. So lean on the network for sure. That's that's fantastic. I want to shift to talking about one of the things we talked about previously, whether you call it gravitas or executive mm-hmm. presence, yeah. is so important as you as you lead to the at the head of any function. I'm just curious about your thoughts and your journey in that area. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really important aspect of this job, right? And it and it's not a simple one. It's it's a fairly um, complex issue, right? And I, I would I would start by saying, first and foremost, to succeed in the role, you have to know your stuff, right? So you have to demonstrate your expertise. You have to um, be effective, right? So there are certain aspects of the job where you need to show, not tell, right? Mm. So the work will speak for itself, right? Do the deals get done? Did the negotiation go well? Did you get a satisfactory outcome? You know, all of those things are sort of the bread and butter of the work, right? Mm -hmm. That's the baseline, right? Without that, you know, it's game over. Right. right. So that is kind of the table stakes. That's the starting point. Now, beyond that, that, that won't that won't get you where you need to be either. Right. So in addition to all of that, you need to be able to communicate with people. Well, this is where Gravitas comes in. Gravitas is different depending on who you're communicating with in the organization. Right. Mm. So, for example, if you are communicating with your CEO, your CFO, potentially your board, that's a different conversation and a different level of gravitas and, you know, the old, you know, keep it simple and, you know, be expert and be gone <laughs> used to right. be the old model, right? <laughs> you know, all of that. I, I dispute the be gone, but definitely be expert, I would yes. say. Um, and, you know, be succinct and, you know, you're there to do an executive summary and and to lead with solutions. I think that is that is the way to lead with gravitas for that particular audience in, in mm. almost any role. Now, if you are talking to your sales reps and your training reps, um, you have to have a much more conversational tone. Now, you still mm. have to have gravitas. You still have to demonstrate your knowledge. But if you lead in that setting um, in a way that is not approachable, you will then lose that audience and then gravitas will become um, irrelevant, right? Mm. Because you've already lost your audience. So mm. I think there is an element where things get slightly complicated in-house where you have to kind of thread this needle and walk a fine line where you are um, responding to the audience that you're in front of um, mm. while always maintaining um, your expertise and your knowledge and being someone that that the groups can go to. You have to be able to read the room and you know, um, modify your presentation depending on who that audience is, right? Yeah. And, you know, I think that is where, frankly, I think a lot of first-time GCs um, can get a bit tripped up, right? Yeah. Is sometimes, right, everybody wants to have the answers and, and maybe wants to lead um, in a business conversation with internal stakeholders um, in a way that can be somewhat off-putting, right? Because yeah. you're not meeting the room where it is. Right. Um, so I would say you've got to have that conversational, um, we call it casual approachability at mm. um, Higher Logic. It's one of our core values. And I think um, having that in mind, having something in mind, how do I, what is my intention for this meeting, right? How mm. do I want to be perceived? How do I want to lead this meeting um, it, it is a very important part of the conversation. Um, and then again, like if you have 
a particularly um, sensitive topic that you maybe you're doing an internal investigation, right? Or maybe you're mm. um, looking for information um, from folks internally that you know could be intimidating for for the team, it, depending on what the situation may be. You know, a lot of GCs will be in that position sometimes. You have to be open. You have to create an environment of trust. You have to lead with empathy. You know, if you're asking somebody a question and, you know, you don't want them to feel intimidated to lead with, oh, I think I made a mistake and here's what happened. Can you help me fix it? You know, you have to create an environment where people can feel comfortable um, bringing those kinds of issues to you. Um, so it, it, it's a fine line and it can be a challenge. Um, and I know some of the folks listening are probably also, you know, thinking as, as I certainly have at various points in my career, um, you know, that gravitas used to look a certain way in the GC mm. role, right? You know, um, what I love right now is that there is um, really a real sea change in um, diversity and inclusion in the role of GC, in the role, um, a lot of in-house in legal roles. I think companies are very mindful of making sure that their legal departments um, look like the rest of the business and look yeah. like the rest of, of the country and are representative and inclusive places. And so, you know, the, the thing that I always tell folks that I mentor is, you know, lead with your expertise, but Gravitas can look different for, for you than it may look for somebody else. Yeah. Be authentic, right? Yes. So if you are authentic in your expertise, if you are authentic in who you are and how you show up, I think that will typically resonate very well um, with any audience. Um, yeah. Don't try, I, don't try to be someone else. You know, I, I, don't try to be the lawyer. Just be yourself. I think that's exactly right. I, and I've, I've been thinking about, as you've been talking, just really helpful reflections about, you know, it's Gravitas Reimagined. Um, yes, and I, and yes. I think, but don't you always think it's been that true gravitas, the bedrock of that was always authenticity. Yes. Um, yes. You know, cause yes. I've noticed, yes. I've noticed um, in the GCs that I've had the privilege to work closely with, they are the most, they seem to be the most ready person in the room to say, you know, I'm not sure about that. Yes. Or, or yes. the most comfortable to say, Hmm, what do you think? <laughs> you know, yes. and yes. I, I don't know, it's just yes. something that yes. is extremely powerful about someone being comfortable enough in their own skin to yes. one know, know what they should know, Oh, know absolutely. what they do know and be very transparent about the edges of the things that they oh. don't know. And, yes. you know, I've got somebody on my team who's better at that than me. And I want to connect you with them. There just seems to be that that authenticity that is just very, you have to be pretty comfortable in your skin to get there. <laughs> I think that's, no, I think that's exactly right. And I think it's interesting. What you say is spot on. And it's one of the reasons I feel so strongly about mentorship actually mm. is because I think that it is very important to demonstrate to folks that maybe want to make the move in house or want to move up a level or something like that, that there's room for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, um, you know, I've, I've certainly um, in my career seen approaches that were very different. Right. That mm -hmm. sort of scarcity mindset, like there's only room for, you know, one voice in the room. And I'm very happy that over time that style has given way to a much more um, collaborative style, generally yeah. in-house, generally in the workplace. And I think that um, 
you know, to have the confidence to be authentic, that's a real gift. And it's yeah. a real gift to, to yourself, but it's a gift to your team too, right? Yeah. Because it's really about mentoring and demonstrating that, you know, there's, there's enough to do and there's enough um, to build that there's room for everyone. Um, yeah. And I think it's a real mark of leadership to, well, one, to be able to say, mm, I don't have the answer to that, or I'm confident enough to know, yeah, I've got more questions than answers right now. Right. Let's dig into that. Let's, right. let's look into it. And to your point to say, you know what? I don't really know that, but I know someone who does. Let's put yeah. the spotlight over on that person. Right. Let's highlight that they had the answer. I think that's right. really, really important. Um, yeah, but yeah. totally agree. And what better way to mentor than to give yeah. someone that's directing, you know, reporting up to you the ability yes. to speak to that larger audience? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, that's, it's, that's it's powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. And, yeah. you know, the, the other thing that I would say on that front, too, is, you know, it's also, and this goes to being, you know, authentic, it's very important, I think, to, you know, sound like yourself, to be yourself, mm. to stand in confidence with that. And, you know, one of the things that I really like to do, and I I make fun of myself sometimes internally for it because I, I always joke that I, I feel like I have an anecdote for, you know, every, every scenario, but I do think <laughs> that uh, as a lawyer, sometimes if you, first of all, I think if you can summarize a complex point, it means you really understand it. So yeah. I love a plain talker. I yes. love, you know, straightforward language. I love plain language and contracts. That's all, yeah. that could be a whole other topic. Yes, it could. Uh, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's a huge passion area. Um, but also I think if you can take a legal concept and depending on your audience, um, describe it in an anecdote that makes sense, you know, yeah. it, just everyday terms. Um, right. One, I think it can really connect people to the core of what you're doing. And um, I think it kind of uh, demystifies some of um, some of what we're doing in legal, and it really brings it down to earth as a practical solutions based. Um, yeah, no, approach. I love that. The story, the power of story is real, you know, and, and narrative. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. As we pivot to the last couple of minutes, uh, time flies when you're having fun. I know. Look at us. Oh my <laughs> um, gosh. Yeah. We've already given some practical and actionable advice. Uh, you have just, you know, networking from day one, you know, just a story on that. Uh, the ABA has graciously given me an intern to help on this podcast and the follow on oh, book project. Great. He's in high school. Wow. And yeah. He's, he's, I mean, he's like done more in his life in high school than I have, <laughs> you know, as, as a 41 year old. So, so, you know, not all high school students are created equal right, right. for sure, but he reached out, he saw an opportunity. Uh, he knew yeah. somebody at the ABA who's yep. the head of publications for the business law section and said, Hey, is there any opportunity? And I, wow. you know, I, I, I think the ABA realized, Hey, this guy needs some help. So it's just, a, <laughs> it was a perfect combination, but just think it's never too early to network. So I think that's a very that's powerful great. word of encouragement, but what other, in the last couple of minutes, um, words of practical advice for folks who are, regardless of their sitting high school, college, law school, in-house government, uh, if you want to be a GC, here's some practical steps you could take. Yeah. I think um, what you just said, networking is absolutely the key. Yeah. Um, another one, which we touched on earlier, I think is really 
be introspective, right? Take some mm. time and think about what is the role? What is this specialty of right. in-house, you know? And is that something that you want to do? Um, right. because again, it can feel like, you know, certainly in a legal career, there can be moments that feel like, you know, you're here. So therefore you should go there. Right. Don't let anyone else tell you what the next step is for you. Right. right. Follow your passion for where that next step belongs. I think, I think yeah. that the power of the question, why do I want to be GC? Yes. I've been asked that in, in interviews before and, and have come up with, kind of answers on the fly. <laughs> right. But but right. but but I think to me the answer has been as I've meditated on that um mm -hmm. you really have this unique opportunity. There's different tickets to get to the SLT table. Mm -hmm. You can be a financial expert, you can be mm -hmm. a management expert, but the only ticket I have and the one I'm glad I have is is law. Mm -hmm. And I think the only real legal seat on the SLT is the GC. Uh, so, so that has been my answer, but I think the power of that question is really important um, and, and worth meditating on as a filter. I think so. Yeah, I think no, so. That's, that's great I, I advice. I absolutely think it is. I absolutely think it is. Um, and I think, you know, if, if part of the answer when you ask that question, if part of the answer is not that you love growing a business yeah. and that you love problem solving, yeah. the chances are that's not the right path. Yeah. But if you love growing a business and if you love collaborating, and if you are one of those people who wants to make something better, you know, and you mm. want to take the, the expertise that your listeners have, which is law and work with the team and build something that is unique and yeah. maybe innovative, then absolutely in-house is an opportunity and the GC role is a privilege um, to have a seat at that table and to build something. Um, there's nothing like it. Um, yeah, no, that, yeah. that really helped me think through it as well. So really appreciate those insights. And unfortunately that, that leads us to the end of our time, I know, I but know. want to thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and your insights. Just so, so super helpful. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure and, you know, thank you for having me and to all of your listeners, I would just say, you know, you don't know where your path is going to lead, but keep doing what you're doing um, in your legal career and be open to new opportunities, uh, meet with people, talk to people and, uh, follow what feels right authentically to you. You may wind up in a GC role or you may wind up in something that's even better for you than that. So, you know, the world has never been more open uh, to opportunities for lawyers. So go out and go out and grab the next one for yourself. Well, I couldn't imagine a better closing word. And thank you, aspiring GCs, for joining us. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Please send any comments or questions, including any expressions of interest in being part of the ABA Corporate Governance Committee or its small but mighty in-house subcommittee to dph64 at georgetown.edu. That's dph64 at georgetown.edu. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Sections podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org slash bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.